I'll invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 11, and I'm reading today beginning in verse 40. The transition is happening here in verse 40, and most commentators recognize that difference. One that I read this week said that beginning in verse 40, what follows is not historical, and he takes it more as metaphor or as symbolic or uh, apocalyptic, all the terms that you might use to describe prophecies that are somewhat vague, and that's the transition that that commentator saw. I think that I, I agree there's a transition. I agree it's not historical in the same way as the first 39 verses were, but I'm not sure that it's entered into just the realm of the metaphorical apocalyptic. I think something else is happening here, though we will enter that space before we're done. This is the New Revised Standard Version. At the time of the end, the king of the south, this is the Ptolemaic Empire, if we're still in the first 39 verses, shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. He shall advance against countries and pass through like a flood. He shall come into the beautiful land and tens of thousands shall fall victim. But Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites shall escape from his power. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and of all the riches of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow in his train. But reports from the east and the north shall alarm him and he shall go out with great fury to bring ruin and complete destruction to many. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with no one to help him. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the words secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth, and evil shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others appeared, one standing on this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was upstream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? The man clothed in linen who was upstream raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. I heard, but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are to remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that desolates, desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happy are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. But you go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. This passage from Daniel echoes through the scriptures. And we don't get any kind of wrap-up to this story. Daniel is confused. He doesn't understand what he's hearing. He asks for clarification, and they don't give it to him. These two angels who are speaking to him, these two uh, spiritual beings, they just tell him to seal this up till the end. And in many ways, Daniel is picked up in the end. 
by the book of Revelation. So we're going to talk about how these two books kind of interpenetrate. So there's a lot here. Now, I said that I think that the transition that's happening in verse 40 here is not so much a transition out of history into some sort of a metaphorical apocalyptic future. What is true enough is that the events chronicled after verse 40 don't mesh with any events in the life of Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, um, or the Ptolemaic Empire. This doesn't seem to mesh. And that's what commentators mean when they say this doesn't appear to be historical. But we have been talking through the book of Daniel, and it's not only in Daniel, about the, the supernatural worldview of the people of Israel and of the ancient Near East generally, but we're most concerned with the people of Israel. And you'll find this in the commentaries, that in the worldview, especially out of which Daniel is writing, every nation has a representative in the divine counsel of God, a spiritual representative. We've talked about the fact that many of those have rebelled against God and joined a conspiracy, a revolution that started in the Garden of Eden that began with Eve, whose name wasn't Eve at the time, just the woman, Isha, and the serpent, the Nachash in Hebrew. And that conspiracy has continued and led to the total corruption, really, of creation in Genesis chapter 6. What I think is happening here in verse 40 is that we are transitioning now out of the human actors in these battles to the spiritual actors. And so there is a, a, a king of the north and a king of the south who are spiritual beings just as much as there are humans who fill these roles. And the king of the north is interesting because he'll continue to reign in Daniel's prophecy and then also in the prophecy of Revelation, he'll survive the fall of Greece. And he will continue to reign over Rome. So that king of the north in the book of Revelation becomes the beast, becomes Rome. So there's a sense in which human actors change, but the spiritual beings are somewhat stable, at least these two big ones, the king of the north and the south. Now, when you start thinking about this, you realize that this means that there are spiritual beings who are in rebellion against God, but are not working together. Why is there a king of south and king of the north? Why are there these spiritual battles going on among the nations of the earth? Wouldn't it be better if they all unified? Well, that's actually the story of the Tower of Babel. There was a time earlier in history where they did unify to build a nation on the earth, but it was God who separated them. And he's the one who allotted them to, to live separately. So in the human realm, um, we became different races eventually. We spoke different languages. We went to different parts of the earth. But in the spiritual realm, each one of those spiritual beings was assigned to rule independently of the others. And so one thing that's in the Old Testament that's kind of underneath the surface, and you see it mostly coming up in the, prof the, the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah particularly, but you also see it here in Daniel, is that it looks as though the Nachash has been at work trying to bring those powers back together under himself. And so you still have nations at war in Daniel's day who are seemingly in rebellion against God, but not yet aligned with one another. And that's the whole project. So there are always nations on the earth. Even this king of the north 
he's he because he hears rumors of of a nation in the east who might threaten him and a nation in the north who might threaten him and so he goes away to fight those battles so there is a sense in which god keeps the nations divided by not allowing them to work together but there is this also pressure to unify nations and they do it by conquest what happens in the human realm we also see reflected in the scriptures in the spiritual realm as well so god is sowing discord. But then Hash, Satan, who becomes sort of that, the dragon in the book of Revelation, he is trying to unify them. So rebelling against God is not enough. He wants to unify them under one banner. Now, the king of the north is presented in Daniel as the most powerful of these spiritual beings. He rules the most powerful empire and eventually will be Rome. So that's what's going on at the end of chapter 11, I think, is we're being told that there is a spiritual battle that's bigger than just the human battle. And it's gonna rage until the time of the end. At least that's what we're told here. And that king, that Northern king, who's the most powerful, who seems to have brought other spiritual beings under his leadership, later in Revelation, we'll find out he's aligned with the dragon, Satan is actually the one who gives him his, his power. But in any case, at the end, he will stand alone and he will be defeated. That's what we're told. So as far as we, Daniel has no idea, he's only, being, he's only saying what he's been told. He doesn't know what any of this means, but we know that this is thousands of years out. It's still future for us. Daniel chapter 12 tells us that while this king is reigning as a sign of his defeat, at that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people shall arise. This is chapter 12, verse one. There shall be a time of anguish such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be deliver delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise and, and, and so on and so forth. You might say the book of Revelation is entirely concerned with this section of Daniel. It's almost expanding this vision of Daniel to large proportions. Michael again shows up in the book of Revelation. We're going to go to Revelation and watch how Revelation expands this prophecy that is here at the end of Daniel. So the first is Michael. The second is the book of life, well, resurrection of the dead, right? Judgment. The book, the book, which is the book of life, we see it in Malachi, we see it here in Daniel, and it's going to get picked up again in the book of Revelation. Also, when he is asked how long this is going to take, he's told, this is towards the end, right? Verse 11, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happy are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. There are several calendars going on in Daniel's time. There's a lunar calendar kept by the Jewish people. There is a solar calendar. And then there's kind of a hybrid calendar that's about 360 days. Everybody in those days knew that 365 days about were a solar year, but they still use different calendars. The one based on the moon, Israel used. One based on the sun, the 365 was in use. And then there's this weird one. In my research, it was called the loony solar. I, <laughs> not loony like crazy, but L-U-N-I dash solar calendar. And that was 360 days. So more or less what we have here with these, this looks like the loony solar calendar, the 1290, but what we get is three and a half years. It's three and a half years, 42 months. 
And then this little comment that, boy, it'd be good if you could live just a little longer, if you could survive just a little longer than that. But that comes up in the book of Revelation. That's why I pointed out. It's in Revelation, it's a solar calendar and it's 1,260 days, but it's the same amount of time. It's three and a half years. So now we can go to Revelation and watch how this prophecy of Daniel is expanded and clarified. I think clarified in the book of Revelation. Remember, Daniel was told to seal this all up. Revelation, John, the apostle, picks it up again as he receives a vision from God. So look with me at Revelation. So chapter 11, we're told that there are two witnesses uh, who are going to kind of plague the earth uh, at the time of the end. But I'll, I'll, we'll read this and then we'll see what you think. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. This is the apostle John speaking as he's caught up in this vision on the island of Patmos. And I was told, come and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations. It's the court of the Gentiles. And they will trample over the holy city for 42 months. Now, that's the 1,290 days, Daniel. That's three and a half years. Okay, it's the same thing. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days. It's the same amount of time. Wearing sackcloth. So there are two witnesses during this period of the Gentiles. It's probably a symbolic number, three and a half years, half a week, probably symbolic, but still. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, Fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Anyone who wants to harm them must be killed in this manner. They have authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Jerusalem. For three and a half days, remember it's three and a half years before, three and a half days, members of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to the inhabitants of the earth. The world celebrates when they die. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and those who saw them were terrified. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. The third woe is coming very soon. So I read that so you could see the 1,290 days in Daniel because it's using a different calendar. 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half days. Um, these are all the same kind of picture. And it represents the time of the Gentiles. It's what it represents, what Jesus says until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Now we go to chapter 12. And 12 is giving a more spiritual, even though that probably sounded pretty spiritual to you, a more spiritual look at the same events, but from a heavenly perspective. So now we're going back. Chapter 12, verse 1, a great portent appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So this, you could say this is Israel. That would be accurate, but it's true Israel. It's faithful Israel. This is true Israel, the true faithful people of God on the earth. 
She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. So this child is the Messiah. We know that this is Jesus. But of course, he's been trying to devour all of that line since the beginning. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is Jesus. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. That's most likely the ascension. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. This is the same reference as before when the Gentiles were pouring all over the capital city, when the, the prophets from God were speaking and doing omens, uh, all of these things. That's how long she is hidden in the wilderness. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels, so there's Michael. This is another touchstone with, with the book of Daniel. And his angels fought against the dragon. Now we know the dragon, it's going to say it later, is the Nachash. So he's not someone who appears in Daniel. In Daniel, it's the prince of Persia that's being fought with, or the prince or the king of the north and the king of the south. But this is the, the spiritual being behind it. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So this happens because. The child is taken to heaven. So Jesus goes into the heavens and he, through him, Satan is thrown out. He loses his access. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. So this is the church, the faithful ones. He pursued them. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Did you, do you remember that in Daniel? Times, times, and half a time? That's also in Daniel chapter 12. Then from his mouth, the serpent poured water like a river after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, it opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So in the first century, when this is written, they are catching the idea that the early days of the church, the apostles and the others who are part of the sacred branch, they are being attacked. This is why they're being killed and martyred and why the early church is being tortured. The, the serpent is trying to make sure that this woman is wiped off the face of the earth before the message can go out because he knows now his time is short because the king has taken the throne. And it's only a matter of time before his whole little conspiracy and revolution is over. But it doesn't work. God does not allow the faithful witness to be destroyed. 
the apostles' testimony is preserved. The message remains in the world. So now the river that he throws is chaos, right? He tries to destroy them through all kinds of things, but it doesn't work. So now he has to go and try and pick off the ones who received the message. The message has been preserved. It cannot be destroyed. The woman exists. And so now he's got to pick off the branches. And so that's what he spends his time doing. And then we go into the rest of Revelation. Now, hopefully you can see the way in which Daniel foresaw much of what John is talking about. And John is filling full some of what Daniel saw. So the numbers are all there. Uh, the time periods are there. Um, this battle is there. But Daniel only sees it in bits and pieces. He doesn't really see the fullness of it. And Revelation begins to explore more and more. So the difficulty with reading these scriptures, and Daniel demonstrates this well, is that there's stuff happening in the physical realm, and there's stuff happening in the spiritual realm. And the two are related. Now, what continues to happen in the scriptures is that the spiritual beings who are part of God's council, who are allotted to rule the nations of the earth, they present themselves to humans as gods. Some of them do. And the people come to worship them. That's what the prophets talk about in worshiping false gods. The question is, are they actually in charge? And the answer to that is no. Humans are beings made in the image of God, sent to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the creatures that crawl on the ground, the wild animals, livestock, and to rule over the earth and to subdue it. It's humans to which that authority was given. The spiritual beings have knowledge that humans don't have based on their particular area of oversight. And they have access to the throne room, which humans lose because of the sin in the garden. So they present themselves to us as authorities, especially to the ancients. Today, they just come to us as ideas in the West because we don't believe in these spiritual things. And it, it would be easier um, to just stay hidden and present yourself in a way that is acceptable and ideas, philosophies, thoughts, and all that are acceptable. And so that's the way they present themselves to us today. And they present themselves as though they are helping us. Scriptures say that Satan comes as an angel of light. They come as messages of truth, as illumination, as, as uh, breakthroughs in ideas and technology and all that kind of stuff. That's how they present themselves to us. But they're not actually in charge. They have to persuade us to follow them because it's where we go that the earth goes. And so they make us believe that they are gods, but they are not gods. There's only one God and he has offered us life, but not forced it upon us. Well, I mean, he forced the first time we were born upon us. The second life will not be forced upon us. Now, Daniel foresees another future event that is also in the book of Revelation, but it's much later. So if you have those Bibles, look at Revelation chapter 20. So what we've been talking about so far is the battle. This is Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and locked and sealed it over him so that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be let out for a little while. Then I saw thrones and those seated on them were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. 
They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, in order to gather them for battle. They are as numerous as the sands on the sea. They marched up over the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the, heaven fled from, and the heavens fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Did you notice Daniel also saw some of that? He saw the righteous dead raised. He also saw the wicked dead raised. In the book of Revelation, those two events are separated by a thousand years. But in Daniel's vision, he saw them right next to each other. He also saw the judgment when they were going to be judged. So Daniel, in he sees all of these things kind of in what we call prophetic foreshortened view. It's, it's all sandwiched together. And the revelation begins to spread it out and to expand it some. But what Daniel saw, and this is my favorite verse in the book of Daniel, because it correlates with what we just read in the book of Revelation. Verse 13, this is what the angel says to him, but you go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of days. That's what we just read in the book of Revelation, when the righteous dead are raised and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So this conclusion of Daniel, he sees in these last chapters everything. He sees that the battle raging between literal human kings of two Greek empires, the Seleucid dynasty and the Ptolemaic dynasty. And, he, and the Lord goes into great detail so that Daniel can see that because of the breaking of the covenant, they weren't just sent into exile for 70 years, but they are now at the fate of the nations, the people of God, until the end. And it's not just these kings and their progeny, but there's actually a king of the north and a king of the south, spiritual beings that have been assigned to these nations who are behind the scenes, who are part of this, and they survive their human hosts. And the king of the north grows strong. He becomes the king of the, of the Roman Empire. Now, now, the Greek Empire doesn't become the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire conquers the Greeks. But the spiritual being migrates to Rome and becomes a dominating power that rules the earth. In the book of Revelation, he is the beast. And behind him, given power by him, is Satan who uses him through conquest to bring the other nations and the other spiritual beings under his thrall. This is the picture Daniel sees. 
And it's the book of Revelation sees the same thing. And Jesus comes in the midst of this, not at the end of it, in the midst of it, to infect history with the gospel. That God's people might continue to be called out of these nations. And so God continues to thwart their plans. Even in our day, he is making sure that the spiritual forces of evil cannot unite under the banner of the serpent and build Babel on the earth. So that is the end of the book of Daniel. The history Daniel sees and the future that, that um, the book of Revelation predicts, we are living in it as all of our ancestors did. This is really what Daniel saw and what Revelation is concerned with. Psalm 82, verse one, God has taken his place, where? In the divine council, in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. Now these are not gods, capital G. These are spiritual beings. These are Elohim. They're, they're, he created them. They are his created beings, but spiritual beings created to to help rule the earth. Not that he needs them, but this is how God does it. He shares power. And here he does it again. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long? This is God speaking to them. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And now he speaks. The, the author of the psalm speaks generally about these beings. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now, God, again, I say you are gods, children of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. That's what we saw in Revelation. The judgment of the spiritual beings, Satan included. And then the psalmist says, rise up, O God, judge the earth. For all the nations belong to you. They don't belong to these other pretenders who are real beings, but are not the gods they have pretended to be. So what are we to do with a passage like this? We have to, again, return and accept the teachings of the scriptures for what they truly say. That we are to be a holy people. That we are to be a people who live out the ethics of Jesus as citizens of a kingdom not of this world who stop giving our allegiance to the nations of this earth that are temporary and give our allegiance only to the nation that God has established in the heavens and will one day rule the heavens and the earth. And so whether or not we give our hearts fully to Jesus, it's not just people that are at stake, but creation itself, which is why Paul says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For they have been bound to frustration by God, as Paul's waiting to be freed when the people of God reclaim what we lost. And God has offered this to us again, though we never should have been offered it again because of his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. He has never given up on us. So Daniel reminds us that we are caught up in a cosmic battle that none of us, we can barely scratch the surface of understanding and it will rage until the end. And our only hope is to give everything we are to God and put no faith in anything else.